0: Well, we've been learning and focusing on the idea that everything you do, everything you say, every emotion you feel, every attitude you develop, every habit you practice started with a thought. And so if we could do a better job of focusing our thoughts, we might begin to see Better behavior, better attitudes, more effective and loving words. So if that's what you're looking for, here's where it begins. The lessons are based on the words of Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. A long list of things we ought to think about are given by the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We've made it to praiseworthy today. But first of all, for Bill and Sandy, I've got to review the first eight. No, I don't really... COVID has done a number on a bunch of us, hasn't it? Yeah, we've been there. No, we're at Lesson 9. I'm going to stick on Lesson 9, called Building Up and Tearing Down. one of the things we're learning in our um, men's breakfast, third Saturday of the month, from Andy Stanley, is that words have the power, spoken words, to build people up, Or to tear them down. To build up situations or to destroy them. Words are very powerful. But the truth is, regarding this lesson, every word you speak starts with a thought. So if it's a destructive word, it started with a destructive thought. If it's a constructive word, it started with a constructive thought. Now, I know that some of you have destructive thoughts. Some of you might even have them about me right now. You're thinking, hope he doesn't go on forever and ever, right? That kind of thing. Okay? Uh, but you think, as long as I don't say it, it'll be okay. <laughs> and the truth is, if you're thinking it, eventually you're going to say it. Or if you don't say it, you're going to act it out. You ever do that? Like, honey, is, is everything okay? I'm fine. Ever, anybody ever have that experience? Right? Yeah, exactly. And what do you think? You're going like, no, I don't think it's fine. Could be wrong. But we're going to have to try to guess and figure this out. All right? You think something negative and destructive. It's going to be expressed in your behavior, your attitudes, your words. You think something positive and constructive. And you give it life by speaking it into existence. It can change everything. In your life and world. So today's word is this. If anything is praiseworthy, think about such things. Praiseworthy, not a term we use a lot. So uh, from the original meaning in the Greek, it means this. Praiseworthy, perceptions that see the best in others. Perceptions that see the best in others. Uh, All of us are kind of a mixed bag, aren't we? You got stuff you're proud of. You know, you try to put your, we say, best foot forward. Let people see the best of you. But typically, if you're in enough situations, some of the other stuff slips out, right? And we should never be too surprised because both exist in all of us. We are mixed bags, aren't we? Sometimes we say to people, Uh, You know, before you get married, since marriage came up a couple of times, it's good to take a little time to get to know the person. Why? (laughs) Well, the reason being is, if you wait long enough, you see a little bit of each. And now you can make a decision based on what's really true, not upon what you hoped was true. Right? In time, you'll see both. And by the way, if you say something negative about someone... You may very well be right, but that's not the point. Someone once said to me that the job of a parent, okay, as a detective, is to be sure to catch your children doing something right, okay? But that's As sinners, that's not the way we usually approach it, is it? You don't have to admit it, but how many of you have been rifling through your kids' drawers going like, I'm going to find that evidence of, on their phone, on, on their computer, right? When that's not your job. Now, with somebody who's really struggling, you may have to wait a long time and look really carefully, but if you look really carefully and wait long enough, you'll find somebody doing something right. You're just impatient. So you want to jump on it when they're doing something wrong. But that's not going to help. They're aware that something's wrong. What they might not be aware of is that there's something right they can build on. If they just hold on to it. Here's a guy you know. Huh. Who is that old guy? He's William Booth. Anybody, anybody here know who William Booth is? Yeah, he's the Salvation Army guy. Think bells, all right? He's the guy who founded the Salvation Army, okay? An organization designed to help the neediest of people in society, right? Well, Booth was very old. I'm guessing that might have been when that picture was taken, because he looks like I'm not sure he's going to make it through the day. Looks pretty old there. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if I'm looking like that. And uh, he was very old. And the Salvation Army still looked to him for leadership. But he was in the hospital and very ill. And it was time for the organization's annual convention. And he was supposed to give the keynote speech. But as the time drew near, it became obvious that he wasn't going to make it out of the hospital in time. So his followers, his fellow leaders, asked him... Could you maybe send a telegram, remember way back when those telegrams, to uh, encourage the leaders, just a few words, to help us with the convention. So Booth agreed, except for he had a problem. William Booth, in addition to being a great man, was very frugal, you know, like a penny pincher, right? And when he thought about it, he realized that with telegrams, they charged you so much per word. (laughs) And so he thought, how can I put a whole speech in a telegram without spending all the money that we raised by ringing bells outside the stores, right? If that's what they did back then. So then he came up with it. And he actually sent a one-word telegram to be read to the convention to help them stay focused on what was important. And here's a picture, actually, of the telegram, because it's a famous telegram. And the word was, others. (laughs) Why is that such a life-transforming message? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is because most of us think, most of the time, about ourselves. All the things that irritate you are based on that. And all the things that make you happy are based on that. When somebody, as you approach the uh, stoplight, lays on the horn behind you, okay? And that doesn't make you smile, does it? Makes you very edgy and unhappy. Or when somebody's in front of you and they're going way slower than you'd like to go and you're not going to make... The reason why both of those irritate you is you're convinced that there's nobody's agenda or plan or program or goals for today that are as important as yours, right? I mean, for instance, um, if somebody was laying on the horn behind you and then they dangerously sped around you, you'd probably be cursing them. Okay, No, I don't ride in your car. I just know these things. Okay, But the truth is, what if I told you they had somebody who was desperately ill in the back seat and they were on the way to the hospital? Now, how do you think about it? Could that be true? Am I just making that up? Could be true. Likely not, but could be true. Suddenly, your eyes are off of your plan. Getting to work on time. Getting home so you can watch your favorite television program. Now you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about somebody else. Thinking about others changes your whole perception of the world, doesn't it? And your whole perception of yourself. In order to think praiseworthy thoughts, you have to start by realizing you're not alone. If you think about the world like a wheel, and every wheel has a hub around which everything else revolves, You are not the hub. But most of you think and live and talk and feel as if you are. And then how different people appear. Because some of the people out here on the wheel cooperate. And a lot of them don't. Some of them do it the way you know things ought to be done. And many of them don't. Many of them wear cologne that smells just like you like and some of them stink. Some of them dress in a way that you like and some of them dress in a way you don't like. And they have the power, you've given them the power to make you at the hub, because as we know, it's all about me, entirely feel differently based on how they behave. Now, the Bible seems to reveal to us that we weren't made to be the hub. I know you think the ideal world would be where the whole world revolved around you, but the truth is, you weren't made that way. (laughs) You were made by God to live with Him at the center. Now, that doesn't make you unimportant, that just makes you not the hub. So now you're out here on the rim. And everything revolves around God. Out here on the rim are other people. They're not better than you. They're not less important than you. They just share life on the rim. They look far differently. Now you can sympathize with their shortcomings and struggles, can't you? Because, after all, you're just like them. (laughs) You have your struggles and problems. And issues. You're not the hub of the universe. God is. Now I can look to my fellow rim dwellers and speak life into them. That's praiseworthy words. Praiseworthy thoughts. Praiseworthy thoughts are thoughts that value others. That say... I have importance and significance and value because I'm a human being. My neighbor, even though they like different music than I do, even though they like their lawn cut at a different level than I do, even though they like to only occasionally remember to carry their garbage out, and I'm obsessive about getting it out the night before, they're just like me. Okay? (laughs) <laughs> they're out here on the rim with me. They got other stuff going on. Maybe they were in the midst of a marital fight and so they forgot to carry their garbage out. Or maybe they're allergic to the grass and they're having a bad day with their allergies and so they put off mowing the lawn another day. I don't know, but this I do know. They're fellow rim dwellers. They got their stuff. Good stuff? bad stuff. Strong stuff, weak stuff. Wonderful stuff, disgusting stuff. I got it. They got it. You got it. We've got it. (laughs) But when I look to them face to face and say, because God made you, you have value. I mean, usually when I say that, I said it recently on a Wednesday night, I remember, and several people turned to each other and smugly said, yes, that's so true. The pastor, he is so right. And then I said, like even mosquitoes. <laughs> several people made a face. Yeah, God made them too. They've got a right to exist. You believe that? Okay. They got a right to eat. And what do they eat? They want to eat your blood. Yeah, you got it. Okay, the thing is, so we may see ourselves as in conflict with Him, but the truth is, we're all part of God's creation out here on the rim, made to live together, and that starts with valuing the other people in my life. Yes, you do. Okay. You know what? I'm going to let you work that out between you and God. (laughs) Okay? I'm just speaking theoretically here. I'm just a pastor. All right. Paul says in Philippians 2.3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition is just a Bible way of saying nobody's plan for today is as important as mine is. Get out of my way. I've got important places to be. I want to be there on time because they're important. And vain conceit means, I have a right to demand that you get out of my way because after all, all of you do know, right, it's all about me. right? If at the end of the day I'm not happy, then I'm not going to let any of you be happy. Because it's all about me. Now, we'd like to believe that none of us live that way. The truth is, that on some level, all of us live that way. Because if when the person is laying on their horn behind you, you think, what a rude, disgusting person, instead of think, wow, they must have someplace really important to be. Guess what? That's you in this verse. That's, Selfish ambition, that's vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, he's not saying other people are more important to you. (laughs) Because what he's saying is, you're not as important as you think you are. And you're not as more important than the person who lives next door to you. You all have great value to God and in His creative plan, you do well to value one another. Praiseworthy thoughts are thoughts that forgive others. When you look at somebody and say, no matter who they are, how they look, how they smell, how they behave, how they talk, that person has value. You are not saying that person is perfect because there is no such specimen on the earth. You're a sinner, and the person who lives next door to you is also a sinner. They may, in fact, struggle with different sins than you struggle with. And to be sure, since you think the world revolves around you, you've probably convinced yourself that their sins are more disgusting than your sins. That... Their sins have separated them further from God than your sins have. But the truth is, we're all in the same boat regarding this. I think that's the whole purpose why the Bible says, you want to know where all this started? And it goes back to the beginning. And it goes like, we all came from the same place. (laughs) Right? Okay. Now notice how they, who were innocent, decided they knew best how to run their lives. Basically, the original sin was this. It wasn't eating an apple. It was saying, you know, I think God doesn't realize it's all about us. (laughs) So I think we're going to start calling the shots and making our own decisions because, after all, we understand, don't we, it's all about me. And the result is a whole society of people who don't think about how their behavior, how their attitudes, how their words affect other people. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, love each other deeply because love... When the Bible uses the word love, is not talking about affection. It's talking about valuing someone. Realizing that all human life has value covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, you say, I love my neighbor. Oh, you mean they never sin? Oh, no, I'm sure they got their stuff. I just choose not to focus on that. Okay, And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, let me work hard to try to remove anything that comes between you and me. So, when you hurt me, And because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're likely to do that. My instinct as a sinner is to do what with that sin? I want to hold on to it. I want to put it away in a box someplace so I can take it out and look at it whenever I want. What does Jesus tell us to do? Forgive. And he's saying, let it go. That doesn't have any purpose. That's not going to draw you near to another person. Forgive them so you can start over. Now, forgiveness, by the way, doesn't mean somebody, you know, hits you, so you go like, how about you hit me again? That's not what he's talking about. He's simply saying, Don't let what happened in the past get in the way of what God wants to do in your relationship in the future. Praiseworthy words find a way to forgive. To set aside the mistakes and build on the pluses. Praiseworthy thoughts are thoughts that believe in others. One of my favorite scenes from a movie based on the book by uh, Alexander Dumas. Or as the fellow in Shawshank Redemption says. Everybody knows that, don't you? Alexander, dumbass. (laughs) And Andy says, that's Dumas. Yeah. Alexander Dumas, in that uh, scene in the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo*, um, the count is stuck in prison, falsely arrested, and next to him is the priest, who isn't really a priest, but he's a spiritual guy, and he's also been falsely arrested, and they're digging a the tunnel to get out. When the tunnel collapses on the priest, to make a long story short, the priest is dying, and he, with his last dying breath, lets the count know I have an incredible amount of treasure buried (laughs) and you can have it but you have to promise to use it for good to use it for God and the count says I don't even believe in God to which the priest I wish I would have come up with this line the priest says it doesn't matter he believes in you I mean, think about it. When Jesus found us in our sin, there was nothing to believe in. He believed in us anyhow. He believed in the spark of divinity that God placed in each one of us, marred and covered by our sin. He believed in it so much that He died to redeem it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. This kind of love, he says, is patient. It is kind. That is the love that sees the value in someone even when it's not easily visible. In other words, on your worst day. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. You ever know somebody who was a stamp collector? Okay, in this case, got, you get in an argument and all of a sudden they start bringing up things that happened 30 years ago. You go, where'd that come from? And of course, they're not saying it, but they're thinking, I've been saving it for just a moment like this. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Praiseworthy thoughts are thoughts that motivate others. You ever run into someone... Who thinks they can motivate you by telling you everything that's wrong about you? Okay. How many have, uh, have ever been motivated by a speech like that? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> that's so ignorant of human nature that it's impossible to even get your brain around. No. If you wait long enough, think of somebody who does something you don't like. I mean, you really don't like it. Ask yourself, in a hundred opportunities, might they do it right once? And if the answer is, maybe one out of a hundred, then say, wait till they do it right and praise them. How much should you praise them? Oh, you got to go overboard if you want to bring out the one and make it two out of a hundred next time. You got to go overboard. We usually say it's a little bit like potty training. There's a spiritual lesson in everything. Remember how potty training worked, okay? You put the kid on the pot. You're trying to get him to do something that you want him to do the rest of their life without having to remind them, right? Okay, and so finally they do it and what do you do? You have a party. You're applauding. You give them a cookie, all that kind of stuff, okay? Because you want them to repeat that behavior without having to be given a cookie later. That works with all behavior, you want somebody who does something disgusting to straighten out their act, then wait till they do it right. That's where the love is patient part comes. And when they do it right, jump all over it with praise and pray. How much praise? How badly do you want them to repeat it? You got to go crazy. Bake cookies right now in anticipation, right? Because this kind of love These kind of praiseworthy thoughts motivate people. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Anybody remember what the uh, King James word was that got used a lot? Only spoken in church for build each other up. Edify. Edify, yeah. Edify, it means, if you ever read that in the old versions of the Bible, edify just means, did it make them better? Did it help them? Did it bless them? Did it move them to a good place? If not, you're just talking to hear yourself talk. But words have the power to drive people toward better lives. But you gotta wait till the moment and use the magic words. Praiseworthy thoughts are thoughts that redeem others. Yeah, redeem. <laughs> redeem simply means buy back. Our sin, which doesn't just affect, uh, affect our relationship with God, but our relationships with one another. I talked earlier about the story in Genesis. Adam and Eve sin; They leave the garden because they could no longer have the intimate fellowship with God they once had. Sin did that. And then what do they do? They blame each other for the sin, right? That didn't happen before. They were one flesh. And then what do they do that sinners should never do but most all of us have done it? Have kids. Okay? <laughs> because if you're a sinner, you're going to have sinful children. And what do their kids do? Cain and Abel, remember that story? Okay? One kills the other, right? Conflict everywhere, right? But what they needed was redemption. That was the moment that God gave the first prophecy that a Messiah was come. The only man on the face of the earth who would be innocent without sin and he would lay down his life and bear the penalty for our sin. Why? Because that's what love does. That's what praiseworthy thoughts and words do. They reach out and help the person up. They bring them to a better place. Jesus said in the upper room with His disciples, My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In ours, Jesus would fulfill that prophecy, but He was also talking about you. When you love someone, okay, You're seeking to build a bridge to help them get to a better place. And it probably is going to cost you. You're probably going to have to go out of your way. You're probably going to have to be uncomfortable. You're probably going to have to do something you don't really feel like doing. But only love could drive you to do it. Well, as a pastor, I've had some proud moments in my life in the positive sense of the word, prod, And a couple of them came like this. One time I went to visit, I was playing a softball tournament in Ohio. And on Sunday morning, I used to be an a intern pastor as a early 20-something young man in Ohio. So I thought, I'm going to go visit the church where I used to be an intern. So I, I go to the church. I'm not seeing anybody I know, because it's been a while now. And uh, finally, I ask one of the people who look like they know what they're doing. I'm going like, Hey, any idea before church, I said, I have any idea whatever happened to so-and-so? It was one of the kids in my youth group, and I just always thought about him. And he goes, yeah, you're going to see him in a minute. He's the pastor. And I thought, huh, well, turn that. And then another moment happened like this. I'm reading a book one day, and I remember back when I was a youth pastor in Tacoma, Washington, that there was this young kid who thought he was a poet. Every week, a youth group, he'd bring me another poem. I probably have them stuck in Bibles and all kinds of places. and I probably didn't read half of them. Don't tell him, okay? It, but this guy, he wanted more than anything to be a poet. Then I'm reading a book one day, and one of the quotes is, I read this poem the other day that says it well. And it was a poem by the kid from my youth group, public, who's now published as a poet. And I'm going to use that poem today. It's called The Cold Within. It's a story about a campfire and six men around the campfire. Six humans trapped by happenstance in bleak and bitter cold. Each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story's told. Their dying fire in need of logs, the first man held his back. For the faces round the fire, he noticed one was black. The next man, looking across the way, saw one not of his church and couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes. He gave his coat a hitch. Why should his log be put to work to warm the idle rich? The rich man just saw, sat back and thought of the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from sight. For all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. The last man of this forlorn group did not accept for gain. Giving only to those who gave was how he played the game. Their logs held tight in death's still hand was proof of human sin. They didn't die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. Praiseworthy words and thoughts warm the environment wherever you go. We live in a bitterly cold world. I'm not just talking about weather. Selfishness has created a number of sociological and worldwide problems. How can we change things? You're going to get the answer from me. Don't try to get it from Fox News or CNN, okay? Unless you're able to hear two, like extreme, way out at the edge views and combine them and come up with some, but that's way too much work, okay? I recommend this begin to think thoughts. That build bridges. Thoughts and words that connect you. That create an environment for greater understanding and acceptance and love. And watch the world change around you. Starting with your house, your neighborhood, your city. So here's your homework. Remember we do homework. Well, I shouldn't say that. We assign homework, right? I'm not going to go to your house and see if you did it because that's way too much work. And the dog could eat it anyhow, I know all this stuff. Are you more likely to notice something someone does poorly or something they do well? If you're a normal human being, the answer sadly is the first. If not, and you're being honest with yourself, congratulations. But most of us are much more easily irritated by people who do it wrong and take for granted people who do it right. Think about that a moment and then ask yourself, second part of homework, how about in yourself? Are you more likely to affirm something good in you or condemn something bad in you? By the way, both exist. Okay, but what are you going to focus on? Some people major in what we call in the world of psychiatry, self-flagellation. It just means, don't get excited, just means beating yourself up. Okay, constantly bemoaning all the mistakes you've made and the things you've done wrong. And has that ever motivated you to do better? The answer is, in case you were wondering, No. Focus on when you did it right. Give yourself a cookie. (laughs) Then begin each day this week by asking God to help you see you as He sees you. Oh, you might be surprised because most of you are terrified of this idea. If you ever sat alone and said, God, I'm just going to sit right here until you tell me what you think about me. You have conjured up in your mind your dad standing or the principal standing over you giving you a lecture. Okay. I learned some great quotes like from Abraham Lincoln and other people from lectures given by principals because I heard them all. Okay, It was like uh, for a, a while after I got saved I had nightmares where all I would hear was if David Petty would please repeat to the office. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it was like, that meant I was going to get a lecture. And uh, a famous one of Mr. Hayes, the principal at the junior high school I went to, was, you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all of the time. That always preface, and you just got caught again. I didn't bother to point out to him that it wasn't that hard to catch me doing something that was against the rules. (laughs) Okay, so... But it seemed to make him feel better, so I let him think that. Begin his day this week by asking God, you're alone with him, just say, God, help me see me like you see me. What do you see? What do you love? And fourth, then ask him to help you do the same that day with others. Now, God, that I've taken a moment to see myself like you see me. Help me to see everybody I come in contact with today the way you see them, not the way I see them. Because frankly, I see them through the lens of a world where I'm at the center. It's like, have you ever heard the joke, how many adolescents does it take to screw in a light bulb? Just one. They stand there and the world revolves around them. Okay? Well. Sadly, most adults live that way too. Not just teens, right? They probably have a reason for living that way. We should have probably grown up and got over ourselves. Then at the end of the day, in a quiet moment before you go to bed, do some journaling. Think about how this new way of looking at you and then through that lens, observing the other people who inhabit the world with you, how that affected your relationships with those people. How you felt about them, how you saw them, how you thought about them, the words you spoke to them, and how you felt about spending a few moments with them. Thinking for a change. Everything you do starts with a thought. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder that if we're ever going to change behavior, attitudes, thoughts, and words... It all starts with thinking like you made us to think. Teach us the way. In Jesus' name.